welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Open your Bibles to James chapter 1. He was talking about when you fall out of the boat or when you are having difficult times, what's your first response? And last week, James says your first response ought to be to be quick to hear, to hear what God has to say, slow to speak, slow to anger. Don't get mad and say, God, what do you want me to do? I'm listening. He carries on with that today in verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, This man, this woman, will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Young pastor, first Sunday in a new church, preached a sermon. His congregation was thrilled. He did an excellent job challenging them for Christian service and living. Everybody was happy. The next Sunday, he preached the very same sermon, word for word. And people thought, well, you know, he's just moving in. He, he, he probably got confused. They gave him, they gave him a pass. But the third Sunday and the fourth Sunday and the fifth Sunday preached the same sermon again. Well, now, Baptists by this time are murmuring. And one of them approached the pastor and said, dude, don't you have more than one sermon? He said, absolutely I do. I've got a lot of them. Well, why won't you preach something else? He said, well, when you start doing this sermon, then I'll move on to the next one. The children's fairy tale, Snow White, is a perfect way to introduce today's subject. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Well, God's Word is compared to a mirror. I call it mirror, mirror on the shelf because a lot of people, their mirror, their word is on the shelf. This sermon is actually about divorce. Now, not between a husband and wife, not that kind of divorce, but uh, uh, the kind of divorce that divides our faith and our actions, our belief and our behavior, our profession and our performance, because there seems to be, in some people's mind, a a difference. A.W. Tozer wrote a book entitled The Root of of the Righteous. I'd like to read part of it. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun. It is the glaring disparity between theology and practice among Christians. So wide is the gulf that separates theory from practice in the church that an inquiring stranger who chances upon both 
would scarcely dream that there was any relation between them. An intelligent observer of our human scene who heard the Sunday morning sermon and later watched the Sunday afternoon conduct of those who had heard it would conclude that he had been examining two distinct contrary religions. It appears that too many Christians want to enjoy the thrill of feeling right but are not willing to endure the inconveniences of being right. So the divorce between theory and practice becomes permanent, in fact, though in word the union is declared to be eternal. Truth sits forsaken and grieves till her professed followers come home for a brief visit, but she sees them depart again when the bills become due. You wouldn't think of going to a doctor who had just graduated from medical school and had tossed out all that he had learned in medical school. You wouldn't go before a judge who rules in his own way and gives disregards all of the legal precedents. You wouldn't go to a pharmacist who didn't think about all the different medicines and how they go together, didn't worry about that. Or, or, or can you imagine a cook that doesn't follow a recipe? They just add ingredients as they feel like it. Each person's got guidelines. You wouldn't want an architect or an electrician or a plumber to work on your home that didn't follow the city codes, and those codes are there for a reason for the most part. You wouldn't want to have your taxes prepared by someone who didn't know the IRS guidelines. God has guidelines for you and me as we walk and live as Christians. And that's what this is all about. And James states that we have guidelines. And so his first statement is an injunction, a command to God's Word. Get it off the shelf into the mind. Now, in verse 22, it says, but be... Now, you would think, well, wait a minute. I'm going to stop there. The word is really in the substantive form, which means this. It's not just a one-time thing. It means your whole being. This ought to be who you are. You, your mind, your soul, your spirit, emotions. It's, you know, it's, it's one thing to fight a fight one day. It's another thing to be a soldier. It's one thing to fix something around your house. It's another thing to be a home builder. He's saying, your life ought to be this. You, your mind, emotions, your strength, your, your spirit, be doers. Submitting to authority. Complying with its regulations. Jesus said in John 3, 21, but he who teaches, he who does the truth comes to the light. That his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. James is emphasizing that you're not just going to hear the word, you're going to be a doer of the word. You're going to get it off the shelf, out of your, wherever you store your Bible, and get it up here. Get it up here where it's going to lead your life. After that little phrase, he then gives, a, uh, he speaks about the inattention the lack of concentration, the inattention to God's way, out of sight, out of mind. Now, I'm going to use some phrases that you're accustomed to using today. 
I'm going to interject them and how they fit into this passage. And the first one is out of sight, out of mind. You ever use that term? Because that's what uh, a lot of people do. And so I want to use some of these phrases as we look at this verse. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. He observes his natural face in a mirror. Several phrases. First of all, are you listening to me? You ever, had to, you ever said that? Are you listening to me? I wonder that every week. <laughs> <laughs> the Greek word hearers, it, it, it's the word used where people sat passively by and watched a performer or a play or a speaker, and it means to be a perpetual listener. And today, we would use that word to describe an auditor of a college class. You know, an auditor, now I'm not talking about a financial auditor. I'm talking about when you audit a college-level class, you sometimes go to the class or you watch it online now, or, and you listen and you can take notes, but you never take any of the tests. You never have to do any of the papers. You're just a perpetual listener. Another thing about it, you don't get credit for it either. And he's saying there are people who are just professional listeners. A lot of churches have auditors. They want to expose themselves to the preaching and teaching of the Word. They take advantage of hearing God's Word, but they don't ever do anything. They don't give to the Lord's work. They don't ever come to a Bible study class. They don't don't visit other people in need. They don't help the poor. They don't do anything. They just listen. They're just hearers all the time. Marguerite Provost, who lives in Georgia, said, one day my three-year-old granddaughter was playing with her toys. Her name is Beverly. She, and as I was folding laundry, I noticed Beverly's shirt was dirty and needed to be changed. And so I called Beverly two times, and she didn't respond. Then I gave her the full three-name call. Beverly Elizabeth Provost, did you hear me? Beverly said, yes, Mama. My ears did, but my legs didn't. <laughs> a lot of people in church like that. They hear it, but they really don't. The next phrase is quit kidding yourself. It says, for, for anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, Deceive, verse 22, not hearers only, but deceiving yourselves. Deceiving to, to arrive at a false conclusion by false reasoning. You know, it's one thing when you're deceived by someone else. It really hacks you off, doesn't it? And listen, a lot of these emails and texts and things that you get saying they're from different places and they're a scam to get information from you. And then sometimes you fall for one. All of us have at times. And it, it's always aggravating when somebody else deceives us. But what about when you deceive yourself? That sounds strange, doesn't it? And yet... It goes like this. Well, the more I come to church and the more I go to a life group or Sunday school, or what, the more mature I am. Not necessarily. It's one thing to read a menu. It's another thing to eat. 
It's one thing to have a prescription and have it filled. It's another thing to take the medicine. You see, you can look and hear, but it doesn't change your life. You can read the Bible. You can read it through. You can hear it taught and preached. But if it doesn't go in, you're deceiving yourself. Matthew 7, 26, Jesus said, Now everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. It's pretty bad when we think we're okay and we're not. And a lot of people today, in religious terms, think they're okay. They have listened to the traditions of people. They have followed their own rules. They've listened to the rules of other people. And they have disregarded what God said about salvation and who Jesus Christ is. And they have deceived themselves. And he's talking to Jewish Christians here, brand new Jewish Christians who come out of legalism and Judaism and now seeing the liberty in Jesus Christ. And he's saying, just because you hear it, if you just hear it only and don't do it, you're deceiving yourself. Quit kidding yourself. The third phrase, did you hear what I said? <laughs> God's words compared to a mirror. And unlike a regular mirror that just reflects the outside, God's Word is like a mirror that reflects the inside of us and our inner character. And the truth is, we all look in the mirror. You looked in the mirror this morning and you made the necessary corrections before coming to church. At least most of you did. This word observe means a casual glance, and I can prove that you do it all the time. Have you ever looked at your watch, see what time it is? And you put your arm down, and somebody standing next to you said, what time is it? And what did you have to do? <laughs> you had to look again, didn't you? That's a casual glance. That's just what this means. You just sort of look at it. And the word face... For if anyone is a hearer of the word and does not, and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. That word face means the one that nature gave you, the one you were born with. The only way to see yourself is through a reflection in a mirror or a photograph. Photographs are really not accurate, are they? And I'll tell you why. That's why when you have photographs made, they don't take one. They take hundreds. And then you pick out one that makes you look the best, don't you? But when you look in the mirror, <laughs> there's no hope there. Someone well said, beauty is only skin deep, but ugly goes to the bone. Beauty fades away, but ugly holds its own. I like what somebody said. Childhood is when you make funny faces in the mirror. Middle age is when the mirror gets even. <laughs> I 
we just take a glance and don't do anything. I heard about a woman who got suspicious that her husband might be cheating on her. She thought he was running around on her. She saw him one day slip something, slip out into the garage, and he opened up a box and put it, put something in the box. She said, I got him now. She ran out there. She opened up the box, and she pulled out what he'd put in there, not knowing it was a mirror. She looked at it and said, so that's the ugly woman he's running around with. <laughs> it shows you who you are. There's another phrase, like water off a duck's back. You ever use that term? Verse 24 says, he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Goes away. Peter Lord said, what we believe we live by, the rest is just religious talk. What you really believe is how you live. Do you believe Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved? Do you believe that if a person without Jesus Christ is lost and on the way to hell? Do you believe that we have a responsibility to lead people to Christ? It's getting quieter, isn't it? You see, if you answered yes to those questions and you're not trying to at least invite somebody to the Lord or tell them your testimony or if, at the very minimum invite them to come to church with you, then you really don't believe that. When's the last time you invited somebody to attend with you? But more than importantly, when's the last time you talk about the Lord to someone else? It's we, we live by what we believe. And a lot of times, people hear the Word of God, they read the Word of God, they close up the Word of God, and they're on their way, never thinking about it again until the next time they open it up, maybe the next week or whatever it might be. He said, it, it, are you even hearing what God said? Is it just going off of you like water off a duck's back? We've seen the command, the injunction to God's Word. We've seen the inattention to what God has to say. How do you implement it? Let's talk about the implementation into the mind and heart, putting God's Word in you. Charles Swindoll said, the Scripture is not designed for your idle curiosity, but the Scripture is designed to change your life. Verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, looks, Several words for look in the New Testament. But the one used here, James uses a, a modifier to make it stronger. He uses a strengthened form of this word, and it's the same word used to look deeply. The compound verb carries the additional idea of careful, cautious consideration. So here's a phrase that goes with it. Do you see what I am saying? Do you understand it? Looks. That word's used in Luke 24, 12. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed marveling to himself at what had happened. 
Or John 20, verse 5, and he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Now, those two gospel references says that Peter ran to the tomb after he had heard that it was empty, and he stooped and he looked in, and he didn't just have a casual can't, uh, a, a casual glance. Yeah, one of these days, I, I, I pray that God makes you preach for a while when we get to heaven. <laughs> Doggone it. <laughs> Casual glance into the tomb. It's a good thing we can laugh at each other. Of course, y'all are laughing at me. I'm laughing at myself. He studied it. He, he, he saw the details. In, in fact, we're, it's recorded that the, the linen cloths were folded up, and, and it wasn't just a quick look. He studied. He stooped down and saw that is the word for looks. When you look at God's word, you are looking at it with your full attention, and where do you hear it? In the heart. You hear it in the mind and the heart. In 1993, September, Major League Baseball season was almost over, and the first place Philadelphia Phillies were playing the second team at that time, Montreal Expos. In the first game of the series, the home team, the Expos, came to bat. They were behind seven to four. First two men got on base. And then the manager sent in a pinch hitter who had never gotten a hit in the major leagues as a rookie. His name was Curtis Pride. Pride took his warm-up swings, walked up to the plate, and on the first pitch hit a double, which scored the two runs. The stadium, over 45,000 people, exploded, cheering and screaming their approval. Pride standing on second base. The third base coach called time, walked over to second base, and told Pride, take off your helmet. And he thought, what's wrong with my helmet? And then he understood he was to take off his helmet and acknowledge the crowd and he did. After the game, someone asked Pride if he could hear the cheering because, you see, Curtis Pride, they weren't giving him a, uh, a hard time about it. He was 95% deaf. Could you hear the crowd? And Pride pointed to his heart, and he said, I could hear it right here. And sometimes the things we hear the most strongly from God's Word speak right to our hearts. In the New Testament, mirrors were typically made of highly polished brass or bronze. Sometimes a wealthy person could buy one made out of silver or gold, but even the most expensive mirrors at this time were primitive compared to the glass mirror that you have that didn't show up until the 14th century. And so in order to see yourself, you had to really get it just right in the light to see what you wanted to see. You had to really look at it. You could not just take a quick glance. He's saying by patient observation, you could discover what you look like. Well, when you look at the Word of God, you begin to see what you look like. 
The person who looks intently at God's Word discovers the meaning of life, discovers that God loves them, discovers that there is hope in this life, discovers that there's forgiveness and salvation in Jesus Christ, and discovers why we're here on this earth, that we're not some cosmic accident, that we're not just taking up space, that we belong here. And God has a purpose for us. We're passing through. The faithful hearer and doer of the word does not study the mirror itself, but rather what the mirror reveals, namely God's revealed will and truth. Here's you another phrase. Please read all instructions before continuing. <laughs> Most people don't. We just open it up and here we go. And when we can't get it to work, then we'll pull out the instructions and try to find out what we did wrong. In verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. Jesus said in John 8, 32, you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. I think it's interesting he uses the law of liberty especially when he's writing to Jewish believers. They've come out of all of this legalism that the scribes and Pharisees had laid on them out of the traditions of men and not from God, but they had now found liberty in Jesus Christ. You shall know the truth. The truth is there's only one way to be saved, and you can't save yourself. There's only one way to be saved, and that's through Jesus Christ, and that when you confess your sins to him, God will forgive you and cleanse you with his righteousness, and it sets you free because you no longer are striving, working, trying to be saved. Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad you're, you're not any more accepted by God than you are right now through Jesus Christ. And you've been forgiven. And you've been adopted into his kingdom. You can't do anything to be more saved than you're already saved. That's freedom in that. It's amazing to me, though, how people today... Some people only want part of the truth. So they have their own Bible. <laughs> They've torn out a lot of part of it. A young man was preparing for a long trip. His roommate in college, and he, they were going on a trip together, and he said, I'm just about packed, but I but I still have a few things. I, I've got to put a guidebook, a lamp, a mirror, a microscope, a telescope, a volume of pine poetry, a few biographies, a package of old letters, a book of songs, a sword, a hammer, and a set of books I've been studying. His companion said, you'll never fit all of that in your suitcase. And he said, oh, yes, I will. He took his Bible and put it right in his suitcase. This isn't just a book. This is the living, breathing Word of God. 
please read all the instructions before continuing. Another phrase, don't forget what I said. You ever said that? Yeah, you have. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, habitual. You continually hear it. You continually talk about it. You continually meditate on it. You continually live it. Talking to yourself isn't always a sign of old age. In this day and time, it may be the only way you can be sure someone's listening. But you talk to yourself about the Word of God. Another phrase, I want to be in the center of God's will. It says in verse 25, and he's not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one, we be blessed in what he does. Two things. Blessed means happy. You'll be happy, content, peaceful, joyful, purposeful in what you do. And all that you do, you're serving the Lord because of what he's done for you. You take the word of God and apply it in your life. And when you do, several things are going to happen. You see the command to God's Word. You see the ignoring of God's Word. You see how to implement it, to look deeply into it, and to continue in it. And then he finally ends with how this is shown, the illustration of God's Word, the fleshing out the Word. It's going to be evident in your life. Y'all know there is a difference between somebody who's just religious and somebody who's a born-again, spirit-filled Christian. The word religious here in verse 26, if anyone among you thinks he is religious, outward expression. It comes from threskos, which refers to external rituals or liturgies or routines or ceremonies. The famous historian Josephus used the word to describe worship in the temple at Jerusalem. Paul used the noun form of that in Acts 26.5 when he talked about his former life as a zealous uh, Pharisee. Interestingly enough, now that the Holy Spirit has come, the New Testament doesn't really use that word, threskos. It uses the word eusebia, which means godliness and holiness. Because I want you to see that, that there's a difference in just going through the motions and living it out in your life. Attending church doing volunteer work, observing rituals and ceremonies, saying prayers, even having the right theology has no spiritual value in themselves apart from the true saving faith of Jesus Christ. When you're using those to glorify the Lord, that's one thing, but when you're using those just to do the the religious thing. There will be so many people in our churches today that are going to go do the religious thing. And I've watched some of it on television. I've watched when they start repeating stuff, and they're about as exciting as watching grass grow. <laughs> then they repeat it. They, have, they don't even, they're not even thinking about what they're doing. It's just a ritual, but they've, they've done it, and they got communion. It's all religious. 
James says, if you really want to show that you've been in the Word and that your life has been changed, you're going to show, just show several. He just mentions three. This is not an exhaustive list. But he said, first of all, it's going to be illustrated in your language. Uh-oh. Look at verse 26. If anyone you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. You're going to see the tongue show up again in James. But it comes from the heart. It's useless. The person who, whose outward manifestation or deeds, is, 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 it's not for real. It's eventually going to show up because what's down in the well comes up in a bucket. That's a loose paraphrase of what Jesus said. What's down in your heart is going to come out in your speech. You know, the tongue is one indicator. It's not the only indicator. It's one indicator that you've been saved. As you know, the average person speaks 18,000 words a day. Now, I know some people who are way above average. 18,000 words a day, that's enough for a 54-page book. And in a year, that's approximately 66, 800-page volumes. You spend up to one-fifth of your life speaking. And if the tongue is not controlled by God, it's a sure indicator that the heart is not controlled by God. Jesus told the self-righteous Pharisees, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned, Matthew 12, 34. Religion that does not transform the heart does not transform the tongue. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. Folks, listen. Not being legalistic here, all of us have thought of words that we hadn't said in a long time. That's why I don't play golf very much. I'm not talking about every now and then. I'm talking about habitual talking. The way that you speak and the way that you conduct yourself and the way that you talk about other people and so forth is an indicator of your own heart. So, I'm not trying to be legalistic. I heard about a guy who, who had trouble. He was a new Christian, and he had trouble. He was trying to change his language. He was in such a habit for so long. He was trying to change his language from cussing, and it seemed like every time he got mad, he'd let a phrase fly. And so he went to his pastor, and the pastor said, well, why don't you try singing a hymn every time you get angry? He said, I don't know any hymns. And he said, well, here, let me loan you a hymn book. Gave him a hymnal. Some of y'all don't even know what a hymnal is. He said, every time you get mad, instead of cussing, sing. He came back in about three weeks, and pastor said, how are you doing? He said, I'm doing pretty well. And he was so, I said, I'm so proud of you. There's, he said, there's only one thing. And he said, what's that? He said, I need another hymnal. <laughs> they asked a little Sunday school class, children, what is righteous indignation? One little boy said, it means to get real mad and not cuss. Your language is going to show a lot about who you are. You can control it too. Don't tell me you can't. 
You can control it. Every time I come up around people, they quit cussing. You're also going to be, it's also going to be shown by your love. Look at verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. The word visit means action. Catharis, pure, and amiantus, undefiled, are synonyms. The first emphasizes cleanliness. The second denotes freedom from contamination. And James is not speaking of what may seem bits to us, but what is the best in the sight of God? The genuineness of anyone's religion is not determined by his or her own qualifications or standards, but by God's standards. And God says, you're going to love other people. The scribes and the Pharisees and other Jewish leaders opposed Jesus. He, he would say, you have invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And, and the word to visit means much more than just stop by. It means to care for people, to care for them, to extend oversight for them. The first century widows sometimes became prostitutes in order to survive. And orphans were often sold into slavery. And there were very few money-making possibilities for first-century women and orphans. And these two people would be helpless and hopeless. And even the emperor Julian wrote about the church in the 4th century. He said, love is the thing that is drawing converts. He said, they're even the ones that extended outside their own walls to care for others. You see, it's been said that the measure of a church is to be found in its compassion for other people. Why do we care about anybody that comes in here? And the reason is because we used to be those somebodies until Jesus saved us. And there's room in God's kingdom for all people, but but when you come in, you're, 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 the fact, you know, church, I, I've always said that some of the meanest people on earth are church people. I didn't say Christians. To me, there's a difference in church people and Christians. Now, if you're a Christian, you're going to want to be a church person, but not that kind. But church people, they're the ones who get mad, especially when you inconvenience them. You sit in their place, you park in their spot, you get in their way. You don't look like them, you don't talk like them. Listen, not everybody that walks in there knows churchanity or churchese or Christianese, whatever you want to call it. They don't know the language. A lot of people who don't have any church background, they've come in looking for somebody to care about them. All of us have that responsibility. It's not just the hired guns, the pastor. It's all of our responsibility to be kind to people, to notice people, to stop and talk to people, to care about them. Jesus said by this, well, all people know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And that's what James is saying here to to reach out and love to those who are helpless, to those who can't help themselves, to those who don't have much hope. He also said, 
it's going to show in your life. Verse 27 says, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. It's continuous actions to keep, to keep yourself unspotted from the world. It would be nice if we, when we were saved, we didn't have to live in the world anymore or God would put us on our own planet, but he's not. He doesn't beam us up right when we're saved. We're still in the world. And our world is definitely headed away from God. It's a broad path that leads to destruction. We're on that narrow path. And when you're on that narrow path, which is right in the middle of the broad way going in the other direction, it's, it's continuous to try to keep yourself not better than anyone else, but not to get in the flow and head the wrong way, to, to be careful what you, what you read, to be careful where you go, to be careful what you do, to honor God with your life and your marriage and your job and everything else. To keep yourself unspotted doesn't mean you've got to run away and hide, not to go into some convent somewhere. It means that you're living in the world, but you're not of it. Don't be squeezed into the world's mold. So basically, this passage says you do three things. You read God's Word. You find God's will, and you live God's way. And you're saying, well, you should have just said that and been done. (laughs) But you wouldn't have been listening. Let me tell you a part about the Bible that you cannot casually glance at. And that is the part that says, God loves you. He sent Jesus Christ to save you. Jesus died on the cross for our sin. And you cannot ignore what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you've never received Jesus, it's just religious talk. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I pray for those even now that may have been raised in church. Maybe they went to church a long time ago. Maybe they're watching online. They're watching on television. I pray that today people would understand that just knowing the religious talk and a few religious liturgies and religious words doesn't get it. They've got to turn from their sin in repentance, asking you to forgive them, believing that Jesus died for their sin and rose again, defeating death and placing their faith and trust in you alone. God, please bring people to you. I pray for those that need a church. I know that there's not any perfect places. It's because they're full of sinners who've been forgiven, who are still maturing, still learning. Lord, if you want to add some more sinners to this place, we'll love them just like you do. I pray for those that need to be baptized, just like these this morning, who were obedient, not ashamed to follow in you because of what your word said to do. 
So Lord, during this time, would you bring people to you? In Jesus' name we ask it. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message.